0: You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbart's.com.au. Well, please do keep your Bibles open. So 1 John chapter 2, where we're picking up today, our third work week in the series. And there's also an outline on the back of the news. If you find that helpful, please use that. There are translation points in Dinka, Korean, and also simplified Chinese. If you're using the English one, uh, there's a bit of a typo in the second point. So the second point should actually say, flee from that which fades. So that's just a bit of a, an extension exercise to test as we go through the passage today. But as we come to that, let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy to us. And we thank you that as we come to your word, we can do so in the power of your spirit. Lord, today, would you please teach us more of yourself that we might delight in that which is forever and flee from that which fades. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some years ago now, when I used to travel quite a bit for work, before I was a minister, there was one particular city in Europe that I would uh, really frequent on high rotation several times a year. Really beautiful place, uh, stunning surroundings, and in many ways, it was an icon for what success looks like in the modern world. Uh, Performance and appearance were king. People really worked hard and they played hard, the trappings of success were everywhere, material things were greatly prized, and your worth as a person was really bound up to the brilliance of your career and the monetary rewards which flowed. It was phenomenally alluring, but ultimately crushing. It was crushing because the promise that these things. So, you know, that which you could achieve or attain, the promise that these things would bring you satisfaction, purpose and meaning, well, the promise was a lie. The promise didn't stack up with reality. I remember whenever I used to arrive in that that city, I'd really see with a, a great clarity of what that was like. But I have to be honest and say, it wouldn't be long before I'd catch myself thinking, oh, actually, this looks increasingly attractive to me. You know, formed by the the culture around me and the disordered desires of my own heart, I'd be quick to detect a movement in my motivation to pursue a different set of priorities. The things which I once diagnosed as empty rapidly looked worthy of my devotion. You know, how can we be in the world but not of it? How can we live in a world that is often forming us with a range of priorities and practices that can contradict the priorities and practices of the kingdom to which we truly belong? Now, there's a couple approaches. One approach says, well, you can't. You know, the world is all bad. You can't live in the world and not be of it. So Christians, run away. Uh, Christians, hive yourself off. Escape somewhere where you can't be tainted or swayed. Now, obviously, that won't do. That's not going to work. Not only does it deny any goodness that is in the world, not only does it diminish the potentials of the desire of our own hearts to actually lead us astray, even if we were escaped to a cave somewhere all by ourselves, but it also dodges our responsibility to take part in God's mission in the world. We can't just hide ourselves away. Okay, so some say, well, great. Well, the answer must be the opposite then. Uh, the answer is not to run away, but to really lean in. That the best way that we can enjoy the goodness of the world and be God's presence in the world is to listen to it, be soaked in it, and shaped by it. Some think if we affirm the world in every way, then they'll listen to us about Jesus. But whilst that might help us be present, it's going to of course lead to a whole lead of other compromises that won't ultimately help us reclaim the good news, but actually to contradict it and shift our devotion to a different king. So, if the approach isn't to be, you know, worldless, that is to escape from the world, or to be worldly, that is to be conformed in the likeness of the world, what do we do? Well, the gospel, offers an altogether different approach. That as we live in between kingdoms, we are to live in this world, not being formed and transformed by the priorities of this world, but being formed and transforming by the priorities of the Lord Jesus. I think John offers us two ways that we can keep our feet firmly planted. Two ways so that we can avoid worldliness of how we can be in the world, but not of it. Simply love the forever and flee that which fades. So first foot on the ground, first way to avoid worldliness, love the forever. So let's look from verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So, up to this point, you might remember, John has asserted three distinct tests for what makes for a genuine Christian. So the doctrinal test, that a genuine Christian confesses Jesus, Lord and Saviour. The moral test, that a genuine Christian seeks to obey what God commands, not gets it perfectly, but seeks to obey what God commands. And the love test, that is, a genuine Christian loves their brother and sister in Christ. And of course, John does this not to try and trick or unsettle the faithful community to whom he writes. He's not trying to trip them up. He's trying to build them up. He's providing a framework to recognise the errors of those who've broken away, and he's growing their confidence that their faith is genuine, that they truly know God and are saved. John wants them to know that they have eternal life. Remember, they're likely facing a crisis of confidence. They're likely rattled by what this breakaway group is saying. So now John moves to remind them of what they can know for sure. No matter what the world throws at them, no matter what this breakaway group might say, remember, please remember, these things. In our household, every single member of our family has some sort of random area of expertise. Do you know what I mean by random area of expertise? The sort of topic uh, that someone without any notice of all can launch into sort of a happy tirade of extensive insights, facts and strong opinions. In our household now, without naming any of the particular family members, the random areas of expertise include the current state of Pokemon, uh, super-significant insights about Antarctic explorers, why olives are the best food ever, and a myriad of ways that you can use a cricket machine. If you don't know what that is, you'll need to try and track down one of the family members and ask them all about it. You know, This is deep and profound knowledge that grows in each member's heart and mind. Now, we all can have random areas, Of expertise. If you think you don't, just ask someone who knows you really well because it's really likely you have shared a lot about it without ever noticing before. But here, look at what John wants us to know, what he wants us to be able to recall with our mind and delight in in our hearts. Your sins are forgiven, you have overcome the evil one, you know the Father, you know the Son, you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. It's nothing less than extraordinary. We can be sure our sins are forgiven because Jesus died and rose again. We can be sure we have overcome the evil one because Jesus was victorious even over death. We can be sure we know the Father because God's spirit makes us aware and calls us, us to cry out to him, Abba, Father. We can be sure we know the Son, because he's invited us into a relationship with him. We can be sure that we are strong, because nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can be sure the word of God lives in us, because God's spirit is alive in the heart of every believer. If John seems a bit repetitive in these verses to you, it's likely not because he was interrupted, lost his place and then had to restart writing all over again. That's what some people think. But he's repetitive because it's worth repeating. Yes. It's not like the random area of expertise that I might be able to yammer on about. This is a chorus that deserves to be the theme song of our lives. You can almost imagine John saying, do whatever ever is helpful to remember these things. Write them down. Sing them. Say them, paint them, put them into dance, do whatever is helpful to drive them deep into your heart and into your conscience. This isn't all that we can be sure about, but it is a fabulous place to start. We can be asked what we know about all sorts of random areas of expertise. But if someone asks you, what can you be really sure of, areas of forever expertise, could you readily recall these things? Not as some sort of test, you know, under examination, but for us to be growing in delight and confidence of what is forever. The Psalms, I think, really provide a wonderful example of how to recall the truths of God and who we are in Him. When we recall that and keep reminding ourselves of what is true and what will last... It's like working yeast into dough. It's working God's truth into the substance of our lives. I think often one of the reasons that we get caught up with the priorities, the practices and the values of the world is not only because of sin, but simply because we forget that which lasts forever. When John says, dear children, and then to the fathers and young men, this isn't just because he's only addressing the kids and the blokes, okay? This isn't necessarily age or gender specific. This isn't just news for children and men to remember. This is for everyone. When John uses this language, he's actually probably referring to different levels or varying levels of maturity in faith. Children, so those who have just come to believe. Young men those who are getting started in the faith. And fathers are those who have believed for some time. And the point is not that some of these truths apply to some and not to others, but that this truth is to be lived out. We grow into this truth as lifelong disciples. We know and can grow into what we believe. Part of that is is plumbing the depths of that forever truth, And part of that is experiencing this truth in the day-to-day. Letting it underpin our joys, struggles, temptation, challenge, and even the mundane. Your sins are forgiven. You have overcome the evil one. You know the Father. You know the Son. You are strong. And the Word of God lives in you. You don't need to claim these things are true. If you trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, they are true. In this world, there are so many things that rival for the human heart. There are many things that rival for our devotion. But these forever things point to what is truly worthy of our devotion. These forever things point to what we should make the object of our forever love. Second foot on the ground, second way to avoid worldliness, flee that which fades. So verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, so let's be really clear. When John says, do not love the world or anything in the world, what it cannot possibly mean is the sort of posture and outward stance that some adopt, which is to reject everything in the world and, and long for a future when the physical is, is no more. Clearly, that doesn't stack up. That's not what John means. Not only is there much to delight in in God's world, not only do we look forward to a a future when God will remake the physical world, but remember, John in his gospel said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So when John talks about not loving the world here, he's not talking about hating creation and hating the physical world. He's not talking about hating the world in terms of people. But he's using world, meaning the realm of the evil one. That obviously includes things that are evidently evil, so we shouldn't love evil or or sin. Remember, some people at the time thought that sin actually didn't matter, and so they did as they pleased. But of course, sin does matter. If we uh, love sin, it's not taking uh, God seriously. It doesn't show our love for God. It fails to demonstrate in our lives, who is really Lord. So obviously we're not meant to love things that are easily identifiable as evil. But John also means that we wouldn't buy into the values and priorities of the world, that we wouldn't mistake the penultimate things, even the good things, for the ultimate things. Don't love those things over loving God. Uh, so often makes me really worried that it's external things and the external things that lead us astray. But the lust that John describes here are really problems of what's happening in our human hearts. The word lust means something like an over-desire. Lust of the flesh is an over-desire for the physical things of the world. Lust of the eyes is an over-desire for the things we see, so for the appearance of things. Of course, there are good things, good desires that God has planted in our hearts, things from him. But this type of over-desire, which John says is not from God and does not last, is either desiring that which we should not have or simply desiring something too much. You know, we can kind of fear that if this desire goes unfulfilled, well, we're denying ourselves and we're doing ourselves harm. But then when it is fulfilled... We are all in danger of making up the source of our meaning, our identity, and our all. We see it, we want it, we must have it, we get it. In fact, there's a, a song just recently that's been out that almost has those exact words in its chorus. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. It came on in the car one day when the kids were driving with me, and we heard the chorus once, so I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. And the second time it came around, uh, our youngest, Giovanna, sang it out loud. I've never skipped a song so quickly. You know, I don't want that for her. A God who made us and wants us to flourish doesn't want that for us. He wants the things that are are true and right. John says, over his eyes, not only longing for the things not of God, so its origin is elsewhere, but also a longing for that which doesn't last. You know, that's its destiny. It's substituting the truth with something counterfeit. Sometimes it's good to do a bit of an audit on our lives. i uh, give you a few examples. You know, if there's something you feel you must have, else you're not going to be whole, put it to the test. It might be an overdesire. If there's something that you want for which you're even willing to disobey God, then that is an overdesire. And if there's nothing that you can have that you've said no to for as long as you can remember, there might be a hidden over-desire that's lurking just below the surface. It can happen even with good things, even with good gifts from God, like resources and food or recreation, work or relationships. When we take those things and over-desire them, we're elevating them, we're making them the ultimate thing. You know, the world sees those things as the pinnacle because that's all the world has to offer. Worldliness is when those things become what we live for. So some examples. It looks like uh, a good gift like like food. But when we over-desire it, and we make food the object of our purpose and our pride. instead of eating to live, we live to eat. You know if we don't have the, the best food and if everyone doesn't see it, then well, who am I? What is the point? It like, looks like taking the good gift of holidays. But when we overdesire it and make the object, make holidays the object of our purpose and our pride, instead of resting to live, we live to holiday. If I don't have the most adventurous or the most glamorous or the most envy-provoking trip, well, who am I? What is the point? It looks like taking a good gift like sex. But when we over-desire it and make sex the object of our purpose and our pride, instead of expressing sexuality faithfully in marriage or chastity outside of it, we'll search for any outlet to express our desire no matter what the cost. Else, who am I, or what is the point? It looks like taking a good gift like work. But when we over-desire it and make work the object of our purpose and our pride, instead of working to live, we live to work. If I don't strive and achieve the most in my career and gain every accolade I can, then who am I? What is the point? The world says we must fulfil every desire. And if we don't, we're somehow damaging ourselves. But living under the lordship of Jesus frees us from those demands. It frees us to be generous with what we have and obedient in what we do and do not do. It does free us because we can be certain of what really lasts and what really is true. You know, so often this year's desire is, you know, next year's landfill, that's its destiny. You know, in 200 years' time or 1,000 years' time, uh, it really won't matter. You will not care how many likes you had on your food post on Instagram. Uh, you will not care how many people were in awe of your adventurous holiday. You will not care how much accolade you received for working 18-hour days. The desire for those things is short-term. You know, as a kid... Uh, I really desired, I longed for, I overdesired a Lego train set. I never got it. And guess what? Today, with that desire, well, it has almost faded away. <laughs> the things of the world will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, John, of course, is not saying that it's by obedience that we're saved, but he's imploring us to keep anchoring our lives to that which will last and flee from holding fast to the things which will fade. It's making a choice between a moment's thrill and our eternity's joy. We're living in this world, but we're living for the kingdom that is yet to come. Last night, millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of people watched the coronation of King Charles III. You know, set in absolute splendour, entrusted with authority, all the finest things. When you look at it at first glance, it looks also permanent. It looks like it's going to last. Even the chair is over 700 years old. (laughs) But despite the appearances, it's only a facade. It's not final. But there's a king who even Charles will serve. There's a king whose throne will endure forever. There's a king whose kingdom will not fade away, but will last for eternity. We live in a world that often values the things that are simply fading away. But if you trust in Jesus, you're destined for a world, for God's kingdom, that will last forever. Does that mean we should run away? No. Does that mean we should desire as the world desires? Of course not. But with feet firmly planted here, we point to that which is to come and rejoice in what has already begun as we love for forever and flee from that which fades. When we pray and ask for God's help in that. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your extraordinary love that has been poured out in your Son. And we thank you so much for those things for which we can be forever sure we thank you that our sins are forgiven that because of you we have overcome the evil one that we can know the father that we know the son that we are strong and the word of god lives in us lord we pray that you would help us to really make those things the theme song of our whole lives that they might always be on the top of mind pressed upon our heart and that we might be driving deeper and deeper, plumbing the depths of those things that last forever. We pray that in your kindness, by the power of your Spirit, that you might really reveal in us any over-desires that are present. Lord, please help us to see that which is not from you, and also with a clarity, that which will not last. Lord, may our priorities our practices, and all the things we value reflect your kingdom and not this world. Lord, please help us to love the forever and flee from that which fades. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbart's.com.au.